Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. I'm Pete. It's taken me a while, but this episode is part of my mini-series about driving and driver safety at work. As a regular listener, you'll know that I've been circling around this subject for the past year as I've tried to untangle what's turned into quite a complex web. In the last episode, I decided to use a series of interconnected rings to arrange six elements or themes that I think I need to cover to fully explore this topic. And in that last episode, I set the scene by using the first ring to describe the factors that you might consider if you're looking to buy or lease a sanitation truck. I'll come back to trucks in a future episode, but this week I want to look at the second ring in that model, the driver. More specifically, this episode is about what you can do as a business owner or manager to make sure that your drivers and their behaviour behind the wheel become assets rather than liabilities to your organisation. Before we start, I'll stress that today's content is not intended as legal advice. It's my opinion. It's based on 40 years of practical driving experience on motorcycles, cars, trucks, tractors, and literally dozens of different types of digger, roller, excavator, and other construction machinery. I've worked as a driver, I've managed drivers, and I've investigated a lot of crashes and collisions. Because driving requirements and regulations vary from country to country, and because you could be anywhere in the world, this is going to be fairly general, and I'm not going to go into too much detail about specific rules or regulations. As I said in the last episode, if you or your staff are involved in any legal proceedings as a result of driving at work, then you should always seek appropriate legal advice. The focus of this episode is on the driver and their behaviour while driving for your sanitation business. However, I'm not going to preach or tell anyone how they should or shouldn't drive. Instead, I'm going to focus on the practical steps that you can take as an owner, manager or supervisor to reduce the risk that your drivers behave in a way that causes harm to your restroom business or your reputation through their manner of driving. In other words, what can you do to make sure that the people in your company drive your vehicles in a safe and appropriate way? As I researched and wrote this episode, I started to wonder whether it would be better to recruit a professional driver and train them to service restrooms, or recruit a restroom technician, or at least somebody who knew how to clean properly, and train them to drive or operate your vehicles. I don't mean that to sound flippant, but I know a lot of professional drivers who wouldn't take a driving job if it involved cleaning restrooms. And at the same time, there are probably a lot of cleaning staff out there who don't hold a truck license or have experience driving heavy vehicles and they don't know how to operate vacuum pumps and other sanitation equipment. If you run your business using light vehicles such as an F-150, it's less of an issue because, well, everybody can drive nowadays. I say that because in my circle of friends and colleagues, I think I only know one person over the age of 20 who doesn't hold a driving licence, and I don't think I know anyone who doesn't own a car or have access to a car through their family and friends. But if you use a heavy truck, one that requires a commercial licence, finding the right person to drive on your behalf suddenly becomes much more of a challenge. And as I'm sure everyone in the industry will know, finding a truck driver who's willing to service restrooms is one of the hardest parts of running a restroom operation. While some candidates may be swayed by decent pay, a lot more won't. They'll need a much broader package, but I'll come back to that in a later episode. When it comes to driving conduct, I've never met anyone who openly admits to being a bad driver. We can all spot them, I'm sure we've all followed them. The ones who cause a tailgate because they travel at half the legal speed limit. The ones who brake too harshly for gradual bends. They position themselves in the wrong lane at junctions. They tailgate cars in front and they weave all over the road when all they need to do is hold a straight line. 
I see those drivers every day of the week and most of them seem to be unaware of the effect they're having on the other road users. And I've never met anybody who would admit to being a poor driver. If they're driving from A to B in their own car, they'll probably frustrate other road users. But if they're doing it in your vehicle with your company's name and logo on the side, they can potentially damage your reputation and brand. And if their poor driving or lack of awareness leads to an accident or collision, the consequences could be much more severe for everyone involved. So how do you make sure that your staff are driving properly? Well, the first step is to make sure they hold the relevant and necessary license and endorsements for the vehicles they'll drive before you offer them a job. That sounds obvious, but it's always worth checking. Most of the companies I've dealt with take a copy of your driving license and hold it on file at the interview stage. It's important to do that and don't accept a photograph or a copy. You need to see the real thing. Here in New Zealand, the Driver Licensing Authority operates a scheme that notifies employers if a worker's driving licence changes. Maybe their dangerous goods endorsement expires or their medical expires or they've accumulated too many demerit points and therefore lose their licence. The system will trigger an automatic notification that lets the employer know, but it's only available if the employee gives their written consent to take part in that scheme. Have I ever known anyone refuse? Well, no, I haven't, but it would be a massive red flag if I asked a driver to do so and they refused to sign the form. As well as taking a copy of their driving licence, I'd also ask potential candidates to complete a test drive before I offered them a contract. I'd do that because holding the correct licence doesn't necessarily mean they have the skills to operate or drive the vehicle correctly. That doesn't have to be overcomplicated, but it should include pulling away and braking, a few intersections, traffic lights or roundabouts, and perhaps a simple reverse. Ideally, you'll use a professional driving assessor, but if you do it yourself, even a short spin around the block will give you a fair idea of how that person drives and how they manage the vehicle on the road. You'll get an idea of their road sense, and you should be able to gauge whether or not they'll present a risk to your business if you put them behind a wheel. Once they're employed, I'd follow up with a six-monthly or annual refresher, again with a professional driving assessor. Similarly, I'd offer an eyesight test and a medical to every driver at the time they join the business, and I'd repeat those on an annual or biannual basis while they remained with us. My advice is to make the driving assessment and medical a part of the employment contract when the role involves driving. Sure, there's a cost associated with all of that, but it's much cheaper to address training needs and identify any health issues than it is to repair the aftermath of a serious crash or collision. I'd like to say that in all my years of experience, it's been the norm to have that assessment and medical, but sadly it hasn't. In fact, I'd say it's only happened in two or three of the roles I've ever held. Once the person joins the company, you should arrange a proper induction and training on the vehicles you want them to drive. You do this to make sure they're familiar with the controls. Again, in my experience as a driver, this has rarely happened. I'll admit I've driven a truck for several weeks before I realised I had cruise control or I worked out how to operate the cross locks on the rear axles if I went off-road. As professional drivers, we should know this stuff, but there's a chance we won't, especially if we've never driven that particular make or model of truck. And if you acquire a new vehicle, it's important to make sure that your staff are properly inducted to that vehicle too. I've been asked about those rate my driving schemes where you put a sticker on the back of the truck inviting other road users to call an 0800 number and report good or bad driving. To be honest, I'm not a fan. Why? Well, things like that create more admin, and honestly, we've all got enough to deal with as it is. Back in the day, I worked for an organisation that promised to respond to written correspondence within five working days. To measure that, they had to create a whole raft of bureaucratic nonsense which actually diverted time and effort away from dealing with those inquiries in the first place. I'm happy to admit my bias, but I feel the same thing happens with rate my driving. 
The chances are nobody's going to call to say your driver was courteous or polite and if your name and number are on the truck and your driver's behaving in a way that has upset another road user, you'll get a call whether you like it or not. I think a better way to encourage driver behaviour and reduce accidental damage is to offer an incentive to those drivers who make it through the month, quarter or year without any driving incidents and without causing any damage. When I visited Prestige Lose up in Auckland, Anthony and Stefan told me how they set a quarterly budget for accidental damage and repairs. They also said that they shared any savings over the quarter with their staff. For example, if they allocated $10,000 for the quarter for damage but only spent $6,000, they would divide the $4,000 savings between the crew. The budget for the next quarter would be set at $6,000 and so on. I love that scheme because it's a clear attempt to give drivers a financial interest in the cost of damage. Sadly, I've met some drivers who don't appreciate their role in avoiding repairs. They seem to scrape the doors, catch fenders or crack light clusters without a second thought. I'm sure you know the drivers I mean. I call them Motown drivers because they've had more hits than Elvis. Small-scale damage might seem trivial, but those costs soon mount up, and any way you can encourage your drivers to take more care and make them more accountable will always get my support. My next suggestion is to record all journeys using an integrated navigation recorder such as a Navman or a GPS-enabled dash cam, or preferably both. Now I know that in some jurisdictions you're not permitted to use an in-vehicle camera. For example, Austria, Portugal and Luxembourg make it completely illegal to use a dash cam. And in the US, dash cams are permitted, but in some states you're not allowed to mount them on the windshield where they could obstruct the driver's view. And while it may be legal to record video, you may not be allowed to record the audio of private conversations. Now many of those navigation devices and cameras have the ability to record speed, direction and the g-forces that are applied when accelerating, braking or cornering. You can set those up to flash a warning in the cab and to also send an automatic notification to a manager. Now that can be a really useful tool in reminding staff to drive safely, but you do need to spend a little time making sure the limits are set within reason. I know of one truck that bucks like a mule if it's driven along a particularly bumpy stretch of road. The warning alert will go off three or four times even if you travel at moderate speed. Eventually, that just becomes background noise. Every driver will ignore the audible alarm in the cab and every manager will ignore the exception report when it arrives by email a few minutes later. Now of course dash cams won't prevent accidents or collisions, but they will give you a decent record in the event that an incident does occur. They're relatively cheap, easy to install and very simple to maintain. I carry a forward facing camera in my work bag and I use it in every truck I drive. It fixes to the windshield and plugs into the 12 volt cigarette socket and starts recording as soon as you turn the engine on. It literally takes a second to set up and it records the road ahead on a constant 5 minute loop. The footage is saved to an incident file if the camera detects an event and because it's GPS enabled it also shows me the speed limit, tells me when there's a fixed speed camera ahead, reminds me to turn on the lights when it starts to get dark and to take a break when I've been driving for a long time. As an employer I'd fit those cameras in all of my trucks as a matter of course, preferably with a rear facing camera that recorded the road behind as well. I also know of a few companies that use in-cab cameras to monitor driver behaviour. These can be great at detecting and preventing inattention. For example, they'll give a warning sound if the driver uses a cell phone or starts to fall asleep at the wheel. A friend of mine is an insurance broker and he told me about one client who slashed their accident rates when they put in-cab cameras in every one of their trucks. Now I'm not sure how I would feel about being filmed all day at work, but I'd love to hear from any listeners with experience of those systems, either as a driver, a manager or fleet operator.
Now, I will stress that it's absolutely essential to reinforce your expectations by reminding and encouraging your staff to drive in a safe and appropriate manner when using work vehicles. You need to do this at every opportunity so that it becomes ingrained as a fundamental part of your company culture. As I said in the previous episode, accidents do happen and it's really important to remember that when it happens to you or your staff. Don't fly off the handle and jump up and down. Instead, try to deal with things calmly and in an appropriate way. However, if it becomes clear from the number of incidents or exception reports that a driver is becoming a hazard or you receive complaints, it's absolutely essential to bring that to the driver's attention. Don't hide your head in the sand and hope that things will improve if you ignore them. They won't. You have to take positive action. Learn how to interpret the data from the navman and the camera. Collect your evidence, raise your concerns with the driver and ask for an explanation. Tell them why their driving's a concern and be clear about the standards you expect. If necessary, send them for a driving assessment, offer training and reassess their driving in two or three months' time. If you have a driver who constantly speeds, tell them. Speed is known to be a factor in road accident collisions. And if they won't or can't change their behaviour, you need to be prepared to use your employment policies to manage them out of the firm. But again, make sure that you follow the rules of the process rather than firing them on the spot. That's all I've got for today. Please remember that Get Flush is an entirely independent and self-funded show. Its purpose is to help restroom operators improve their efficiency and effectiveness, grow their businesses and increase their profitability while ultimately improving the restroom experience for their clients and restroom users. There are over 80 episodes in the Get Flush back catalogue and they are available at getflush.online or wherever you find your podcasts. If you'd like to support Get Flushed, you can send financial donations via PayPal to info at getflushed.online. Alternatively, please get in touch if you'd like to sponsor an episode or advertise your company, products and services through the show. Once again, thank you for your time. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. <laughs>